I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. Welcome to the Rebel Wellness Podcast, where we embrace a holistic approach to personal health and empower women to break free from the noise of today's diet culture. I'm your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this journey to becoming healthier, stronger, and more resilient in this life. If you found this podcast, you might be somebody who is tired of feeling bombarded with unrealistic body standards and conflicting health advice and just ready to rebel against the one-size-fits-all approach to wellness. This is a great opportunity and place to create a lifestyle that truly works for you. And I want to welcome you to your new home for everything health and wellness without any of those influences. Rebel Wellness is rooted in the belief that true wellness goes beyond just diet and exercise. It's about nurturing our minds bodies, and souls in a way that aligns with our unique needs and values. So if you are new here, I want to extend a very warm welcome. And if you are a ride or die, hello again. So happy that you have returned. Welcome back to this week's Hot Take Summer episode, where I'm going to take you through my raw professional opinions on current spicy topics that are floating around in the health and wellness space, like constantly, especially lately. Uh, These topics have been chosen by our listeners and community, so you already know it's going to be good stuff. (laughs) We're going to go right into it. This episode is my very raw and honest thoughts surrounding the infamous female bodybuilding culture and what I believe you need to know so that you have a better perspective of this industry as a whole. So this hot take topic seeped into my training career since the start of it. I entered the world of fitness in 2010, and ever since becoming a fitness professional in 2013, I've literally seen the gambit. So I thought it very important to tackle the topic of competitive bodybuilding for females because it is really important you understand what's behind the smoke and mirrors of these super lean, tan, extra quote-unquote healthy looking bodies and know that that may not actually be what's really going on. But as usual on these hot topics, I'm going to remind you that these are my own personal opinions that have been birthed from the multitude of exposure and personal experiences over this last decade. Um, It's really important to understand the lens I'm coming from so you can potentially peer through it with me, but hopefully mold your own opinion on it as well. And by no means do I intend to hurt anyone's feelings, and I totally acknowledge that this is not always the case for everyone in this competitive fitness space, but it is the common denominator for a large majority. Um, I would say the average of females in this fitness space are what contribute to these opinions and topics I talk about. So they're not just my hearsay or things I'm looking at from the outside. I've actually had a lot of inside exposure and conversations, as well as, as usual, if you know me, Coach Gales loves to research, um, researching and gathering all these different angles from some of the leading professionals in bodybuilding, in fitness competitions, etc. So if I do tap into any sensitive emotions that you experience listening to this, just know that it's not my desires to offend you. And I do invite you to explore those feelings and maybe even reflect on your experience if you are somebody who has competed or is considering competing or is in process of competing. But also with that said, I would invite you to share this episode with anyone you might think will benefit from hearing this talk. And maybe even that person you know that's thinking about competing. Also, 
Don't forget to follow us and join our growing community on at Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram or my flagship coaching page at Coach by Kales or both of them. <laughs> and uh, make sure you peep the show notes for important timestamps, quotes, and especially big discounts on health companies I've personally vetted and love and use myself. So now that we've set the table, let's explore my hot take on female bodybuilding competitions. Okay, so let's kind of start with my experience and kind of story with bodybuilding. No, I have not competed, but it's not that I did not get offered the opportunity to or consider doing it. So let's say circa 2014 through 2018, um, maybe even a little earlier than that, there was a huge rise in fitness vloggers on YouTube. There was, um, for everybody who was a part of that kind of little chapter on YouTube, I mean, it's still a thing, but it really didn't hit as widespread and popular as it did in that time frame. Because suddenly a lot of females decided to start competing and being more open about it. There's always been women in the um, bodybuilding world, but traditionally it was a lot more physique competitors. So in bodybuilding, there's um, bikini, which are usually the common um, fitness competitors that you see women start in and or only do, especially like uh, your girlfriend, Becky. She probably did a bikini competition because it's a little softer. You just put on some muscle, but you don't get um, super ripped. The super ripped females and males is physique competing. And that's a whole different level. Um, we're going to talk about both of them, but most people tend to do bikini because it's, I would say more people are comfortable doing that because it's softer, a little more feminine. And yeah, you know, sometimes for some people, it's a reason or excuse to get a boob job. You know, there's a whole lot of different things that come into it. We're going to get into that more. But um, so there was a ton of females doing their kind of bikini competition prep process and completion through YouTube vlogging it. It was kind of fascinating to watch and really interesting because you kind of see these people honestly just like obsess over food and their training. It was almost cathartic for those of us in the fitness industry because you kind of get to watch the process of what it takes for people to get to a certain physique. And from my personal experience being a personal trainer, private trainer, professional trainer, yada, yada, um, especially being younger and early on in my career, it was a insane amount of pressure to consider doing something like that because even to this day, doing a fitness competition for some reason gives you a lot of clout in the like training space, even nutrition space, even though it's not the pinnacle of nutrition or health, but it was always a topic and question I'd get asked more so in the early career for me, because it was just something you did. Like you were a personal trainer. Did you do a, a bodybuilding competition? You know, that was kind of paired hand in hand. For me, like it's easy to feel kind of like, oh, maybe I should be considering it or maybe I should do it, you know. But the more I learned about it and the more I kind of like interviewed people about the process and what it meant and then also watching these vloggers kind of talk about the real raw experience of it, um, it definitely quickly changed my mind. 
Um, but when I was finishing college, got certified as a trainer, and I actually had gotten offered a job at bodybuilding.com um, when they put in their Portland office, um, I thought long and hard. And then I decided that that side of the industry wasn't for me. And it's totally fine for other people. But for me, I chose that it wasn't something I really wanted to center my life and my career around. I had been working at LA Fitness and quickly filled up my schedule and kept it completely stacked the entire time I was a trainer there, uh, which was great. But it was really an exhausting side of my job as well, because it was kind of your just, it was a very like stereotypical experience around fitness. Like people were very obsessed with their bodies, obsessed with their physiques, being a trainer, even though I'd like to say it isn't a thing, it's absolutely a thing to look fit. And then that bought in visual trust as to, can you help somebody else get fit? And I do like that a lot of us are kind of moving away from that, if this, then that type of mindset. But naturally, it is just one of those ways that people kind of discern, do you actually take your fitness seriously? Will you take my fitness seriously? But I also was exposed to a lot of, um, I had like three or four coworkers, actually, no, I had like five that I can think of off the top of my head, that were also trainers that did bodybuilding competitions as well. And watching their process of getting in prep for the show and then doing the show was insane. Like the amount of uh, restriction and obsession and rigidity that goes with getting your body to a certain body fat percentage and musculature kind of balance, because you have to be symmetrical. That's how you score better was just like borderline psychotic, honestly. And it was good for me to experience that though, because for how many people um, I've, I even had, especially once I started working at my first private training job, they had long-term like IFBB pro bikini competitor trainers that were the real deal that often trained a lot of Oregon competitors. And several of them reached out to me or talked to me and said like, Hey, I'd really love to train you. You know, like you would do really good for this or that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, after seeing all my friends, especially the ones at LA fitness, like the process, I was like, no, (laughs) I can't. I love food too much. Like my other half of my career was going to be in culinary for just how much I'm passionate and love food. I was like, there's no way I could, uh, restrict myself that hardcore for that amount of time because, Not only is it that I love food and all that stuff, it's also just that I know that it would take a huge toll on my body. I just kind of had an intuition that that wasn't healthy for females, but it ended up being a good thing for me that throughout my career so far as a trainer, I've been very hard pressed to never do competitions and I have never trained somebody for a competition despite how many people have asked me to. I've had a lot of clients either come to me or while training with me say like, what do you think if I want to do a bodybuilding competition? I'm thinking about doing that. I think I really want to challenge myself. You know, that's that's one of the biggest things I hear people say for competition, uh, bikini competition, is that they want to challenge their body and see what they can get it to which is totally fair. And I totally get that. But I think it also is kind of a non-judgmental phrase to say 
that convinces you that you really want to get that out of it. But in reality, I think a lot of people want to push their body to the limit physically to look a certain way and have an excuse to be very obsessed over what food they're eating, have reasons to not eat this or that, and look a very specific way to kind of achieve the clout that like getting super lean and fit gets all the time without actually taking care of their health. Because like any athlete and athletic sport in general, a lot of it and much of it is not meant to do long term and it's not healthy to do long term. So any athlete will tell you that if they had to train like this for the rest of their life, any sprinters, like any sports in high school, college, or even professional football, they cannot sustain that level of performance physically for much longer than maybe even max a decade. That's why most stop after five years. I mean, NFL careers end usually in their mid to late twenties because you just can't maintain that. Same goes for bodybuilding. It is a athletic sport that really shouldn't be sustained long-term. And it gets even more interesting when you dive into what happens to the female body when you get it down to that level of body fat percentage that's, that allows you to see all those cuts and the musculature underneath your body fat. So while um, a lot of my past clients or people I've talked to that like were inquiring to train with me, while I would be able to and I know how to train people to that level and whatnot, for my own integrity as a coach, wouldn't train people for that because um, I did not like the cons that tend to come with female bodybuilding competitions in general. But that is worth saying some of the good sides to competitions or competing rather is that it can teach you a new version of discipline and willpower, which is the main thing that a lot of people say is why they want to do it. You know, like I just explained, it also gives you the opportunity to see your genetic potential and the like musculature that often hides under a healthy range of body fat, which some people are very curious about. Um, And it also teaches you the power of like how fitness and nutrition really do shape your body and your body fat percentage, etc. However, all of those come with a little demon on the other shoulder. <laughs> so let's dive into that. So the dark sides of bodybuilding competitions, and again, specifically for females, these do cross over for males. Um, there's been a lot of conversations with like the guys on Mind Pump, if you're familiar with that podcast, fitness podcast, and several other ones where they're talking about some of these lead bodybuilders in that kind of Schwarzenegger zone all the way to like Rich Piana and all these different people. If you don't know who those are, those are some uh, very famous bodybuilding competition champions from over the years, like since the 70s and on. And For females, though, especially since it's a little bit younger and newer for females, especially with the bikini side, there's a lot of females in this space that are also well known, but at the same time, kind of the experience they have coming in and out of bodybuilding is unique to a female experience. So that starts in with dark side number one, the pressure to conform. So look, if you think about this concept, you are a female, you're training for a usual cycle of training is like 15 weeks or more. 
And then a cut can go anywhere from eight to 12 weeks. So you're in a bulk phase um, with, if you've listened to my previous uh, macronutrient episodes, which is all of May, definitely recommend that series. You have to be in a caloric surplus to add muscle. It's very, very rare for females to add muscle while being in a deficit because our bodies don't have as much testosterone as the male body does. Testosterone kind of changes the body's ability to add lean muscle and recover and lean out, so lose body fat simultaneously, than the female body. That's why you often see a lot of physique competitors and even bikini competitors taking testosterone supplementation while competing. Um, This is why you tend to see a more hardened jaw, more square hips, uh, more masculine features in general, because they tend to use performance enhancing drugs, talk more about that in a sec, um, but also testosterone because testosterone gives an advantage for muscle building and retention. So when you're going through the cycle, you're going to be bulking, quote unquote, adding muscle. This is a typically softer looking phase, but like a lot more muscular because you have to have body fat and you have to have a good amount of water and carbohydrates to build in and uh, recover that muscle. So then you go into a deficit phase. The longer the deficit is, the harder, but also you might maintain more lean muscle because you're not going to go into really low calorie zone too fast. Shorter the cut is, the more intense it is, and the more opportunity to lose lean muscle mass while cutting fat. So a more modern approach to cutting for competition tends to be a longer drawn out cut phase, but there are still people who tend to do the hardcore eight weeks or shorter kind of cut phase, which is honestly kind of insane, but that is something that some people prefer to do because a longer cut, like as a lot of my clients know who have done deficits with me, specific deficits with calories and reduction slowly, slowly, it is so tough to stick to like a 12 week or 10 week or longer um, deficit, but that is uh, just the differences between the two. So Once they go into this, those last uh, four weeks are often like hell weeks. You're starving. You can't sleep because you're hungry. You're trying to cut as much body fat off as possible. And you're doing oftentimes old-fashioned bodybuilding training would put you through a lot of cardio at the end as well. Some of the modern approaches are more science-based and they don't put your body under as much stress. Um, Some people also do like water restriction and different things like that to try to get as quote unquote dry as possible. Um, There's a ton of different techniques of interesting things that people do to try to reduce the water retention on their body to see, we call it looking drier, meaning that you are really lean and cut for stage. This is a very temporary time, but it's something that is worth noting what it takes to get there. Once you go through that whole process, you compete, then you either reverse diet out Or some people just binge and kind of go through like their bulk immediately right after and do the cycle all over again because there's multiple competitions every year. And a lot of people, because they devote their life to it, will continually follow this cycle for several years for several competitions. Uh, So hopefully that's uh, a little more helpful for you to understand um, the process of competing and what it looks like and what it takes. But because of 
uh, you being in this position where you are going to stand on stage next to a bunch of other women and kind of get picked out. <laughs> I always joke. And again, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but, um, when people have asked me like, why have you never bodybuilding competed or any of that kind of stuff? Um, I'll usually say, I don't really have any interest in standing on stage, like a bunch of cattle and getting picked to see which meat looks the best, you know, cause that's literally what competitions are. You're really just comparing yourself and your body against a bunch of other fantastically fit, gorgeous women as well. And it can make you really have an immense amount of pressure to conform to this specific aesthetic that's ideal for winning the judges um, votes. And it is often what makes women have to do things like get breast implants or use performance enhancing drugs um, because it has a lot of negative impact on your body image, your self-esteem, and your mental health altogether because of that. When you are getting judged, the reason that a lot of women tend to get breast implants when they are competitors is because boobs are body fat. There's no way around it. Their breast tissue is body fat. And if you've ever noticed on yourself, when you gain more body fat, your boobs get bigger. When you lose more body fat, your boobs get smaller. That's a natural thing that happens with the female body because your boobs are fat. When you get that lean, most women lose a lot of their breast tissue because it is, again, body fat. You don't really get to spot reduce and pick and choose where you lose fat. Uh, maybe more now with like modern technology, but naturally you can't pick and choose. So these women get extremely lean and then they lose their boobs. What does that do for a competition? It makes you less ideal to be chosen because you lose this uh, feminine physique that they are looking for. They want to see symmetry and balance. And typically, unfortunately, in that world, that means having nice shapely boobs to go with the V taper on your back, which means the, the angle between your shoulders, your lats, and your waist, and then nice round big, like especially nowadays, like really big glutes, again, performance enhancing drugs, we'll get into that in a moment. Um, and then like really nice lean cut quads, hamstring tie in calves, um, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you've ever seen pictures where they do that pose where they stick their butt out and kind of stretch their hamstrings back, um, that's a very specific look for something that they're the judges are looking for on your, your uh, musculature development as a female competing. So there's a lot of pressure to even get things like breast augmentations, um, typically implants, uh, so that you can balance out the fact that you're really lean, don't have much boobs anymore. And there's a huge amount of women, um, especially coming out on platforms like TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, with an issue called breast implant illness. For a long time, a lot of people think it's not real. I mean, honestly, you'll mostly hear males say that it's like yet another all in her head kind of thing, <laughs> but um, it's not. It's an actual thing where oftentimes it's related to the body being in such a stressed state that it sees this unnatural um, substance in your body, aka the silicone and plastic. And oftentimes, depending on what type you get and how cheap or expensive they are, um, you'll get it off-gassing because they're they're brand new and fresh in your body. And your body's responses to those gases and things will cause the body to attack the breast implants. So it's it's pretty interesting the multitude of issues that women are coming forward with under the umbrella of breast implant illness 
and that whole world in general. But when there's a huge pressure to conform to what is the winning physique, it's extremely common for a female to just do exactly what she's missing compared to those winners. So, I mean, and that makes sense because why compete if you're not trying to win or at least place better? Um, There's a very rare group of people that like just do one competition just to do it. Most often than not becomes kind of an addiction and and an identity. So people tend to kind of just keep doing it and keep doing it and then slowly adding in different things to conform to that physique. So something to be aware of is definitely that the pressures that there are to conform to these aesthetic ideals is really high with bodybuilding and it can completely change the way you view yourself oftentimes to a negative unhealthy state. So that kind of goes into another dark side of body dysmorphia and obsession. This is a huge issue that comes around, especially in the female bodybuilding competition world. Um, Same with males, though. They call it like bigorexia, where they just are constantly obsessed with having the biggest muscles. Same thing goes for females, but in a different way. Once you kind of develop a pattern and um, an understanding of where you can get your body to, so let's say they do their first competition and diet down, There's a tendency for females to become obsessed with that body. That body is so temporary. That body that they show up on stage and they share a bajillion photos of is oftentimes their week four until competition physique. That's an unrealistic physique. What they are doing to kind of diet down to that is extremely unhealthy And it's very obsessive and very kind of isolating because they can't have any wiggle room to go get drinks with their girlfriends on the weekends or go have even a cinnamon roll once, you know, there's a ton of things that they are sacrificing, especially in those last four to six weeks that get them into that specific, really cut lean physique. None of those things are healthy. None of what they do to get to that position is healthy understand that, especially because their body fat percentage has to go below 18%. A lot of these females are walking onto stage at 13%, anywhere from 13, well, sometimes 12, which is extremely dangerous, 12 all the way up to 18%. 18 might even be high for some of them, depending on if it's bikini or physique. That is really low for the female body. Like I've talked about in previous conversations, like episodes two through four about the female cycle, Body fat is an organ. Body fat has a purpose on the female body, especially. And that's why our body fat percentage is on average 5 to 15% higher than any male because it's a necessity for our cycles and our health overall. I'm not going to dive too deep into that, but definitely recommend those episodes uh, because it's going to help you understand that getting when these competitors get into this really low zone, depending on how long they try to maintain it, especially because some will go on stage, lightly reverse diet, and then train down again or maintain that leanness for a competition that's only a couple weeks after that. It's pretty common for them to stack competitions since they put in all that effort to get to that position anyways. But then that means that they're sitting in this really low body fat percentage for anywhere from six to 10 weeks. And that comes with so many different challenges, especially the one that I think is not talked about a lot is that a lot of these women are staying in this body fat percentage so long that their body is extremely stressed. It's like, what the heck is going on? This is not normal. 
this isn't good for me. I don't know like how to keep my hormones balanced because everything is whack and off and um, just stress does profound things to the body. One of the things we do know that happens with stress is that it can help your body unlock defective DNA. So I don't know if you already knew this or not, but all of our bodies have like cancerous cells, um, or just damaged DNA in general or defective genetics um, that family members a few decades ago had that is in your genes, but whether or not your lifestyle kind of, um, they say that your genetics load the, load the gun, your lifestyle pulls the trigger. Um, that is very much true. I've seen it play out for a ton of people. Um, and whether or not you express those genes can be a multitude of different lifestyle reasons, especially high stress for too long. So chronic stress is definitely one of those ones that will activate this defective DNA. And what we are seeing, and a lot of women are talking about whether or not they make the correlation, is that um, once they are in this stress state for too long, so let's say they've done competitions off and on for the last three years, many of these women are coming out with things like lupus, extreme metabolic dysfunction, and a variety of other diseases that they didn't have before going through any of this stuff. Um, and it is very much correlated to the fact that they put their body in this unnecessary stress state for too long, and now it's been activated. So autoimmune diseases are very common to come out of um, long-term bodybuilding competitions, uh, or competitors rather. And that's a huge dark side that I really hope, if anything from this chat today sticks, that is a huge risk. Not only I would argue that the mental health challenges that are constantly very apparent throughout a competitor's seasons in life, it's also going to be that for females specifically, be very careful about your gene expression of these negative DNA predispositions that can come from being down in this chronic stress state for too long. So that is, again, you can kind of look it up and kind of explore in the world of YouTube about like the dark sides of female bodybuilding and these different autoimmune things that have been unlocked for a lot of people. Um, I actually have one of the per the people that I um, used to work with. She suddenly got lupus out of nowhere um, after her like third or fourth competition. I never spoke to her about whether or not it was confirmed that it was about this. But at the same time, I do think a lot of people don't want to feel responsible sometimes for like what happens to them when they are kind of just following the status quo of what's like popular in the time or what they think is the right thing. And that's totally fair. I totally hear people on that. And I think it's natural for like the human ego to like not want to be at fault for something major, but our health is a lot of our responsibility. And because we already know that fitness competitions are innately not healthy, even though they look like it, it's not surprising that these different diseases and metabolic disorders will come from something that's so extreme and stressful on the female body. So that's kind of all we're going to talk about on that zone. Um, but it is really important to know that there are these extreme dieting consequences that are part of uh, bodybuilding competitions. You can't avoid them, really. Um, it's pretty rare, too, because, again, just by simply getting the female body fat percentage that low, you are putting yourself at risk for all of these long-term consequences. And on top of that, you're 
going to have massive nutrient deficiencies. It doesn't matter how many multivitamins you pop, you're not eating enough food to sustain a nutrient surplus, so to speak. And you also are at a position where your body is asking more of you and utilizing more of your nutrient stores because it's in such a low body fat percentage state and it's stressed. Um, Again, don't sleep on stress. (laughs) Stress will just mess you up like big time. And it does. Uh, That's why we have so many different chronic diseases and mental health challenges these days. It's just we have all these very variations of chronic stress that are part of our lifestyles these days, honestly. By design, competition prep and the actual competition itself is a massive stressor, especially on the female body. Again, males can sustain it longer and better because they have more testosterone. Um, And that's not just a cop-out, that's legitimately a huge purpose of where it becomes beneficial for the male body to have more testosterone. Historically, just with like the fact that they had to uphold longer bouts of... um, physical stress through hunting or building or all those various things that are more historically generic male oriented (laughs) or male dominant um, things. And obviously the history of the body is what has shaped the physiology of now. The physiology of what we have more lately has only been within the last like several decades. Um, Like the epidemic of more morbid obesity, again, using the scientific term, not any way to offend anyone. That is a more modern challenge that we're having. So it's not genetic because it's something that has not been long, been around long enough to actually influence um, our genes just yet. It's starting to because we've had maybe third or fourth generations now of these very high body fat percentage families. But again, it tends to land in the zone of environment versus the actual physiological genes that are being passed on person to person. But that's a little tangent because that's also kind of a hot topic lately, especially since they recently put out a study saying that genetically people are fatter. And that's a little misleading for a lot of things. I've had a lot of clients ask me about that ever since that came out. So that would be my hot take on that is it's always nurture versus nature when it comes to um, high body fat percentages, because you look at these families and many of them are actually not implementing or practicing lifestyle habits that keep a leaner body, such as even just walking daily enough steps. And then what composition of the macronutrients in the meals they eat day to day, which as we know, both of those things massively influence somebody's body fat percentage. So something to think about when it comes to that stuff. Um, I know it's kind of easier to believe that genetics could just be the reason for people being obese, but unfortunately it's usually environment related. Again, that's different than like Samoans or other people who do have genes, but there's a very small pool of those um, areas of people who have famine genes where they go through surplus and then famine. So their body is more adapted to gaining fat and holding on to fat faster in anticipation for a big famine chapter in their, uh, or season rather, year to year. So there's definitely groups of genetics in that sense, but it's also very small and not as common. So kind of finishing out a couple of the dark sides to um, competitions for females is the emotional toll that comes with intense training and competition prep. 
as well as something called post-competition rebound. For the emotional toll, there's a lot of sacrifices that a person makes when they are in prep for a competition, assuming that they want to step on the stage and be like a viable winner, potentially. Not only do you have to become pretty obsessive over the food you eat, planning ahead, only eating within those calorie goals and macronutrient goals. You also have to train single or double days nearly almost every day a week. Some people do double days and only do four days a week. Some people do six days a week, only one day off. There's also people who become so um, restricted by the body fat percentage they're trying to get to that they tend to do cardio and weightlifting like almost every day. Um, Overtraining is really common, especially in like a person's first experience going in for competition prep. The more seasoned people, especially because they've had more time bulking and cutting, they actually have an easier time getting back to a more cut physique and they don't have to try as hard. But in the beginning, it is very common for you to have to struggle really hard because your body really wants to maintain a homeostasis, especially if it's in a healthy body fat percentage. And so when you're trying to take it out of that zone, you're fighting it. You're fighting really hard. That's why you end up getting really hungry. And they tend to put your macronutrients down really low so that you can make your body go into this stressed state where it's utilizing your excess body fat stores to fulfill your um, energy needs. But that comes with that consequence emotionally, mentally, and as well as like physiologically. You are drained. You feel like crap you're tired, you want to, you just want to eat, you might actually start like hallucinating and thinking about food. Um, These are all things that competitors have uh, admitted to or talked about openly. I've even seen it, (laughs) especially for some of my friends when they've gone into like those final weeks. Uh, It's rough. I mean, it's, it's a whole different thing. And um, it's actually borderline eating disorder, or maybe it is considered complete eating disorder, especially if people follow this pattern consistently. Um, Because I've seen a lot of people who have had anorexia or just obsessive restrictive eating patterns go into competitive fitness so that they can justify their obsession with their food. It's a very easy kind of cop-out excuse when your friends are like, hey, let's go and have happy hour at this place. Oh, I can't. I'm prepping for competition, but I'll come along and get a soda water with lime. You know, Um, you will see so many females who have a history of eating disorders go into competitive fitness because it's yet another way for them to obsess over their body and obsess over their food. Um, And again, this isn't to offend anyone. This is actually a real big dark side and risk to competitions. And it's really important for people to know that. I mean, every, I worked at a training studio in Portland where the three females I knew that uh, had previously competed or were preparing to compete had talked in the past with me about their eating disorder issues and this or that. And honestly, in the fitness world in general, there's a lot of females who actually are also in that industry, regardless of competing. So they had more of an identity that allowed them to make excuses for their eating disorder. They'd be like, oh, I'm just like a fitness person. So like I'm allowed to eat super restrictive and be kind of crazy about my food and stuff and my fitness, et cetera. And it's it's totally um, underrated, I feel like, or under talked about in, in general. And um, that's something that's always made me very passionate about not being that way. Um, even though I love to maintain a healthy physique and strong physique, it's never my 
intentions to give my clients any sort of unrealistic expectations or very unhealthy mindsets, because I've also observed or eavesdropped on trainers that do live in this still kind of um, disordered eating zone or disordered fitness zone, coaching their clients under what they do. And that's not the point of training. That's not the point of personal training. You're not trying to teach more women how to become obsessed with food and fitness and their body and their appearance, et cetera. In my opinion, it's a place where you can help somebody get to their best health and their best physique, wherever that lands. And so I do have kind of an issue with that in this world in general, me and a few of my other very close colleagues feel the same, that it's really disappointing that that is a uh, little behind the scenes thing that tends to happen with a lot of female trainers in this world. But it's also hand in hand with the female trainers that tend to do bodybuilding competitions. So I would just be a little leery of training with somebody who is a past competitor or a future competitor, because you do see them basically coaching exactly what they did to get to a competition weight, not to be healthy. And that looks like meal plans where they're telling you to eat broccoli, rice, and tilapia or chicken and really restrictive plain meal plans and very high volume weightlifting. If you get a trainer that gives you that, they're basically just giving you what their coach for the competition gave them and it helps them get to that physique. But again, that physique is not healthy and that lifestyle is not healthy. It's a very short-term thing that's meant to get you to a certain position in a certain amount of time to look a certain way. And that does not equate health. So, and it does not equate longevity, nor does it equate overall mental health or wellness either. (laughs) So replay that whole section so you can like really let that sink in because I know we have been trained to believe that these physiques, um, especially when we see them on Instagram, are top health position, but they're not. Like for example, one of my clients had a friend who uh, was two or three days out from competing. He caught COVID. He was hospitalized instantly because his body was so depleted and it had no extra nutrients to take care of this virus that has he had contracted. And he immediately had to be put on a respirator and um, given fluids and a whole bunch of other stuff. And obviously he didn't get to compete. So like, what a waste, you know what I mean? Such a bummer, but it's a good side that the pendulum is going to swing to the opposite side. If you are too lean and too restrictive over your nutrients and nourishment and in a deficit, so low calories, you're not in a state of health either. And that is what it takes to get to that leanness, no matter what, especially for females, 100%. You cannot get to that body type without being depleted in something. So do know that that is like what we would kind of consider the overarching emotional toll and uh, risks that come with going through cycles of competing and how you view people who do compete and seeing that like, that's not always the healthiest thing. And it's actually hardly ever the healthiest thing. And again, everyone in competitions know that their lifestyle isn't healthy, even though they look like it and they tout how healthy and fit they look. Oh, and like another little inside scoop from the the dark side. (laughs) A lot of these people who post their lean pictures of them will take tons of photos in those last four to six weeks and on competition day 
take tons of photos and recycle all those photos every day until they get through their bulking phase and compete again. This is a known thing, especially female competitors do, because you get so obsessed with showing this certain physique and and people will call people out, which is super toxic and be like, oh, you got fat again or all these different things. And it's like, yes, because that body fat percentage is not healthy and it's necessary to gain body fat and look quote unquote fuller to get back into a healthy zone where you can be in a surplus to add muscle and all that kind of stuff. Slash healthy state like maintenance is not lean and cut like that. You can have some lean muscle pop through and stuff, but you should never be stage lean year round. So what they do to appear stage lean year round is take tons of photos and only share those photos really until their next competition. This is like a known thing. So do know that when you think, oh, Kales, but like some people maintain this physique like the whole, the rest of their life and la la la. No, they take a bunch of photos from that one little bit of time in their chapter, and then they keep resharing them until they get back to that again. <laughs> it's super ick, but I mean, it makes sense because like I said, the post-competition rebound stuff where you just get obsessed with looking that way, that you lose your understanding of what your healthy body actually looks like. When you transition back to like a healthier and more balanced lifestyle, your body doesn't look the way you did when you're on stage or when you're towards the end of your prep. It doesn't. So having that positive relationship with fitness and your body in general tends to kind of go out the door unless you're a person who's got that established very deeply in their soul. But even the most healthy people will go into these competitions and have this really hard, uncomfy time coming out of that level of leanness. So that is another really ugly, dark side to competitions is you almost forget what your health actually looks like because this became a new identity for you or it became a new body size for you. So a lot of women will talk about the fact that like they cry because their clothes were like a size zero and now they're going back to like a size six, even though size six is perfectly healthy, perfectly sexy, perfectly functional for them. They've only obsessed with getting to the zero that they kind of want to just get back to that again. And it's also another excuse for a lot of women to continue in these competitions, even though they like to say, I just really want to try to win or I want to get my IFBB pro card, whatever their reason is. Um, it tends to be stemming from major insecurity. And uh, yeah, a lot of people aren't going to love that I'm calling that out, but most comp physique competition is stemming from a lot of insecurity. This is also something that even... <laughs> one of the guys on Mind Pump was talking about and several other podcasts exposing bodybuilding stuff. When you are entering a sport that literally focuses on how you look and how symmetrical you are, and if your glutes are bigger than her glutes, or if your striations are more defined than hers, you know, this or that, it's very self-serving. It's a very selfish sport in general and selfish in the sense that like you can't do anything for anybody else or in partake in it. So like you're going to your nephew's birthday party, you can't eat the cake that he made or something like that. You can't do this or that. Like you're very focused on just your own goal. You remove like life and memories for a huge chunk of time because you're obsessed with 
looking a certain way or committed rather to a looking a certain way and showing up a certain way on, on stage to be judged like a bunch of cattle on stage. And then your worth is, is determined by, did you win? Did you place? Did you la la la? Then you start to become bombarded with like, I never cared about my calves, but they said that my calves weren't as good as her calves. So therefore now this whole next chapter, I'm just going to focus on having better calves until we compete again, you know? And it's, very again shallow in the way that like you're just it's just your body becoming so obsessed with something so physical like your body and not taking care of your mental health that comes with it really disconnects a person from themselves as a whole and it just makes you able to focus on your insecurity of getting worth through this identity of your perfect physique quote unquote and that's fleeting because how long can you stay in that perfect physique you really shouldn't stay that long when you get to that stage body, but long-term, you shouldn't be competing for longer than maybe two, three years max as a female. And then you go further than that. You're going to kind of quote unquote age out because you're not going to be in that position where there's new techniques, there's new nutrition plans. Um, there's a bajillion girls who are all 23 and super ripped and you're now 37, you know, um, there's different age classes, of course, but how long can you keep that up? How long is it worth it? And a lot of people are married to it because of that identity, because of that insecurity, that they need to look a certain way, that they need to follow this lifestyle, that they don't know how to do anything other than that. And that is going to be where I'm going to like kind of end my hot take on it because I could talk about this topic for days. But that's just to, to kind of level with you guys that a huge common denominator that I've always observed and seen is that there is a lot of insecurities that are what fuels bodybuilding competitions, especially for females. Um, it's very competitive, as you can tell, because you're basically just gauging your body against another female's body. And in reality, we need to be shifting the narrative to stopping being competitive with each other like that and lift each other up and be like, your body's great. My body's great. We're all great, you know, <laughs> versus like my body's better than yours. You've got issues here. You've got issues there. You're jaws too sharp, your eyebrows are weird. You know, that stuff is so toxic and ugly that I just, I totally don't support bodybuilding for that reason and more. It's just continuing this really ugly cycle of us judging our bodies, us finding our worth only in our physical appearance and us disconnecting from our true health and our intuition on our health by following the status quo of something that is totally fleeting. And the amount of money, another side of it too, the amount of money that people spend and the amount of hours they spend training is insane for the fact that they may not even win anything at a competition. And a lot of people say, well, it's not about that for me. It's just, I really wanted to challenge my body and this or that. Yeah. But you spent so much time, money and stress and mental capacity, et cetera, for what, you know, like in my opinion, I just, I'm, I'm not a very competitive person for a lot of reasons. If you really want to challenge yourself and see what your body's made of CrossFit competitions, like <laughs> those are some of the fittest people in the freaking world when they do it right. Not just like your mom and pop CrossFit studio you go to and throw around some barbells and pull your shoulder like that, not that competition of CrossFit, <laughs> like the ones that are actually in it for the physical challenge and seeing what they can do. That's something great to channel that energy into. 
or even just getting onto a really good progressive <laughs> overloading program from a professional and pushing your limits that way, or like hiring a trainer to push you on your limits. Those are all better, healthier ways to see what your body's made of and seeing your discipline versus I got to get up on stage and compare my body to her body and this or that. Again, that's my hot take on that, (laughs) but it's important to know. So finally, the performance enhancing drugs, um, something that everybody needs to know is that these are widely available. Anybody can get them. Even your little fit chick on Instagram who doesn't compete, who has insane glutes and a really snatched waist, she uses them. I'm not lying. It's all over the place. It's easily to get your hands on, especially if you're like in Miami or LA. Um, I even went to a nutrition summit where the guy was saying, if you want to learn how to use um, or program steroids for your clients, it can be done healthfully. See me later about it if you want to um, find, figure that out, yada, yada, or have a source. And I was like, well, hell no, I'm not going to encourage that for any of my clients. But it is important to know that sometimes people can utilize these substances in a way that's not going to be super detrimental to their health. However, I never recommend it. There are too many side effects that are not positive, especially for female bodies. Um, But everybody is using them. If you see a bikini girl who you knew didn't have much of a butt at all, and in 12 weeks, she's got these huge glutes, she used them. You will (laughs) notice, I'm not going to name the steroids. There's a list, but the most common ones, there's two that female bodybuilders tend to use, especially in bikini, because you cannot get muscle maturity, which is what is required for bigger muscles in that short amount of time. It just doesn't happen. So if you see somebody putting on serious amount of muscle and then cutting body fat really fast, they're using performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, you'll see them kind of shorten to PEDS, P-E-D-S, performance enhancing drugs. Um, But you'll also see PES, performance enhancing substances. This is anything from testosterone to HGH to straight full-blown steroids. Um, there's a ton of different health risks that are associated with their misuse, which is why it's not technically legal in a lot of ways. (laughs) Um, and you'll always see those warning signs, especially at big box, big box gyms, because they're like, well, we put it on there to warn you don't do it. But if you go back to that concept of the pressure to conform more often than not, you cannot have the physique that most of them do because they all use them too. (laughs) You can't push your physique to an unrealistic limit without using these drugs because it's the only way to bridge the gap to insane muscles and leanness in comparison to your average physique that might also look great, but isn't insane. At this point, because it's been around for so long and it's so commonplace in this world of bodybuilding, it's everywhere everybody's using them. Not every, everybody. There's a lot of people who still claim they're natural, but again, especially if they're like unchecked, like they don't compete, but they are just that girl who works out in a bikini on the beach. She's using them. (laughs) You cannot stay that lean and have big pronounced glutes and other muscles that are like well-balanced and super lean um, without utilizing some sort of performance enhancing drug. And it can be at a a bajillion different capacities, but most people don't have the genetics as a female to stay that lean and keep really large muscles without something like that. That's just the way it is. Um, And again, not hearsay, that's legitimately a thing. A lot of people don't like to admit to it because A, the illegal factors, and B, they get too much clout from seeming like it's natural. Those are all the 
hot take dark sides of bodybuilding competitions um, from my lens. There's a lot more I could probably say about it, but for now, I think we're going to cap it there. It's really an important conversation that I hope more people start to have because there's just so much smoke and mirrors, especially on like health talk and um, fitness Instagram for Fitspo and all that junk. Um, But hopefully now you kind of understand that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that goes into competitions and these physiques in general. And hopefully you can kind of better understand that don't (laughs) measure yourself against these people. They are in a whole different lifestyle with a whole bunch of different issues. And it's, (laughs) it's not worth it. In my opinion, definitely not worth it. And it's also like, Another little thing is that there's a huge strain on like personal relationships. A lot of bodybuilders were talk about how like, unless their partner is also going in through it, there's no way you can balance a healthy lifestyle with a relationship with competition cycles. I was listening to somebody else talk about that. And he said that the amount of strain and pressure it put on his relationship with his girlfriend at the time was like unexpectedly tough because you can't go eat out together or when you do you're like asking the chef for all the ingredients and your sex drive is all over the place because especially when you're cutting and depleted naturally your sex drive tanks because your body is like you're not in a position to uh, reproduce especially for females and actually for females when they get to a certain body fat percentage basically anything under 18 percent, sometimes even 19 percent you'll lose your period so you're no longer in a fertile zone and that also puts a lot of strain and stress on your body but that's a stress response again so that is something else to consider (laughs) is that your personal relationships including friends and family and stuff like that will probably suffer and you'll be very isolated because it's a lifestyle that is not realistic. Okay, the things I'd like to see shift and change with the bodybuilding world is that people can kind of encourage more balance between like health and passion so that they can prioritize like self-care, rest, recovery, nourishing foods while pursuing athletic aspirations, not just making it like to get to a certain physique is their utmost peak in their health and life in general. And also just continuing to share the their own negative experience with these things because we idolize these people and these bodies and we think that it's the number one place when you're the healthiest person alive. <laughs> and it's quite the opposite, honestly. Um, so hopefully we can just keep encouraging a discussion that re- redefines these societal standards of beauty and success within this realm of female bodybuilding and fitness in general, so that we can kind of highlight the importance of embracing diverse body types and celebrating achievements beyond aesthetics and just promoting overall health as the ultimate goal, because that's what I do. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm having these hot takes is that it's really about your overall health and is it sustainable for the long term? Because that's what I believe really matters. And hopefully we can kind of get to that position for everybody. Okay, Rebel, that's it for today's episode. So don't forget to share your experience or your thoughts uh, with me on the at Rebel Wellness podcast if you like this episode. Um, also, too, if you have your own unique experience, if you have bodybuilded before, is that, is that the right tense? <laughs> if you've done bodybuilding competitions before, I'd love to hear what your experience was like. Did you 
also have any of these challenges? You know, did you have it differently? Because I'm always here for other people's opinions and experiences because um, like I said before, this isn't always the case for everyone all the time. This is the case for a lot of people often. So just, just feel free to tell me about your own experience or if you felt like, yes, this for sure happened to me too. Um, and also share this with whoever you think this would benefit from this. So definitely let's expose <laughs> the bodybuilding world so that more females understand that the smoke and mirrors is literally kind of just a little act. It's a thing that is not what it really is, if that makes sense. But anyways, celebrate your strength and nourishment, walk with confidence, and I will catch you next week on another episode of Rebel Wellness. Thanks for tuning in to our latest episode of Rebel Wellness. If you've been enjoying our conversations around health, fitness, and wellness, we have some exciting news for you. We've recently launched an Instagram page for the Rebel Wellness podcast, where we'll be sharing inspiring quotes from every episode, behind the scenes moments, and updates about upcoming episodes. So be sure to follow us at Rebel Wellness Podcast on Instagram to stay connected with our community. And it's growing, so I'm really excited about it. That's not all, though. I also want to introduce you to at Coach by Kales, which is my flagship fitness and wellness coaching business, as I am so passionate about empowering individuals like you to live their healthiest and most enjoyable lives. So if you would love to join me there as well, follow my page for daily inspiration, fitness tips, nutrition tips, sometimes even healthy recipes as well as debunking more myths around the health and fitness industry in general. By following both pages, you'll be joining a community of like-minded individuals who are all committed to living their best lives as well. So don't hesitate, hit that follow button and join us on this journey to wellness. Again, thank you for listening and I hope to catch you on the gram.